I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Mmm, c'est bon, c'est bon. Happy Sunday. Yeah, happy Sunday. <laughs> this weekend is DTLA Pro- Proud. Yeah. Which is like a pride festival intended for... Denizens of downtown Los Angeles. <laughs> I guess it's all of LA, but... Yeah. Trying something new, I guess. Because <laughs> this is the fourth year? Is it the fourth? I don't know. Oh, I, I've never, I've never been... I think maybe it's the fifth year. Fourth or fifth. I think it may have started in 2017. Oh. But anyway. So we're, we're going <clears throat> to check it out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. Season uh, 6, episode 11. The challenge was the charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent monologue, mm-hmm. which was obviously a reference to the vagina monologues, but it took me a very long time to realize that um, it's an acronym for, I mean, it's C-U-N-T. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the C-U-N-T monologues, mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> which was funny to me several hours after I finished the episode. But uh, last week, an eliminated queen was brought back. Uh-huh. And the eliminated queen who was brought back is, or was, Eureka. Uh-huh. So the top five for this episode are Trinity, Eureka, Ginger. Raja. Raja. And Kylie. And Ky- Kylie Sonique Love. I thought they all did an okay job with was... their monologues. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Ginger's felt very, like, rehearsed. Ginger's felt like community theater like monologue. She was, yeah, like like she's like the most talented actor in like the Colorado Springs community theater group or something. It felt very <laughs> much like Tennessee Williams' uh, Little No-Neck Monsters. Yeah. yeah. Um, Eureka ends up winning the challenge. Yes. About... Telling a story about uh, shitting on herself. Yeah. I don't recall what Raja's was about. Uh... Kylie's was about... Um, her first time in drag mm-hmm. and sort of relaying it to how her mom sent her to military school as a young boy to try to butch her up mm-hmm. and ulti- ultimately became a, or is a trans woman who does drag. Trinity's was about being catfished on Grinder Slash. Slash ultimately being someone's inspiration for like an HIV positive role model, mm-hmm. which I think the essence of the story was good, but. I mean, I thought her presentation was fine. It was fine. And the final person... Who did I miss? I said Eureka. Oh, you didn't say what Raja's was about. Yeah, I'm forgetting now, too. And then Ginger's was about, like, her mom catching her wearing her shoes as a young boy. Mm -hmm. And then thinking she's in trouble, but then her mom buys her a pair of ruby slippers. Yeah, very cha-cha heels. It, It felt a little like, I don't know how much of this is... It wasn't 100% nonfiction to me. I think she may have made up the story a little bit. It just didn't seem... But who cares? doesn't matter. Uh, but Eureka lip syncs against Jada Essence Hall. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of memes because when Jada was introduced, you know how they put their name and then who they are? Mm-hmm. They just put Jada Essence Hall season 12. Mm-hmm. They didn't put season 12 winner. Oh, <laughs> So the memes are like, they forgot she won season 12. <laughs> but they lip sync to a Little Richard song. Good golly, Miss Molly. Good golly, Miss Molly. The lip sync was, I mean, it was all over the place. It was, I think I enjoyed listening to Trixie the, and uh, Nicole Byer 
talking about talking it. about like yeah these we're just watching some adults dressed as clowns as clowns rolling around on the floor to little richard <laughs> that the, the the commentary about it was more entertaining than the actual lip sync it ends up being a tie eureka both eureka and the group vote off trinity yeah which i think was appropriate yeah fine i again though i'd love for somebody to do something like drastic Within the parameters of this show, of course. Like, choose a front runner. Yeah, choose, choose somebody. Which Naomi Smalls did when she chose Manila. That was an upset. That was an upset, but I want it to be more of an upset that I like. Like, Ginger being <laughs> Well, that's because we don't care for Ginger that much. But she's very talented. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on. Uh, Drag Race Holland. Mm-hmm. This most recent episode, they did a rusical. Oh, God. Cinderella, the rusical. Which was... Like Cinderella on uh, Hallucinogen. It was a matchup of like Little Red Riding Hood, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Sleeping Beauty, all the Grimms. Yes, and it was pretty adult, which I thought was funny. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't. I, I only... like I liked the Wolf, or slash Little Red Riding Hood. I think that that um, this cast seems to have some obvious uh, front runners. Because mm-hmm. I think My Little Pony yeah. is clearly, uh, and then the other one, the werewolf or Little Red Riding Hood. The, who are ex-partners. Or who are ex-partners. Kita Minaj. Yeah. I feel like they are obviously, yeah. like they're going to, one of them is going to win. It's still fun to watch, but yeah. Um, My Little Pony is just so creative and mm-hmm. his drag is like on another level. I think the Countess looks great. The, so yeah. the Countess and Reggie B. No, the Countess and Ivy Elise are in the bottom. Yeah. And. <laughs> which, you know, the Countess I find fascinating to watch. I hate her attitude, uh, which I think is an act because she's uncomfortable with herself in some regard, uh, but like very transfixing. I agree. Um, but after their lip sync to, I forget the song now. It's in Vogue's. Uh, oh, Free Your Mind. Free Your Mind. Fred is like, the lip sync was bad. The lip sync was bad. Uh, <laughs> so we're just going to go over overall performance. So. Yeah, so he like lays it out pretty well. Like, well, you know, you nailed all your fashions. This is your first time lip syncing. The Countess. It's not good. You're going to need to do more, but you can stay. And to the other one, he's like, well. Yeah, you did. All right, your first two lip syncs, but this third one. Yeah. We, we got to send you up. Time to go. <laughs> so I, I did enjoy that, but. Bye-bye, Ivy Elise. Oh, also, um, Vanessa Van Cartier, who's the trans woman, mm-hmm. whose stated age is 41, she says. Um, I think she looks great, though. She's gorgeous, but she seems more mature than that. Yeah. Which I think affected her performance, because she plays Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And I think her energy seemed a little low. But she moves like how I would move. Like, older, my body is not quite, you know, so I'm very careful. I'm not going to hurt my knee. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to hurt my knee or throw out my back. That's kind of how she moved. Um, she did well enough, but mm-hmm. um, she told her story about how when she decided to transition, it was really hard. And yeah, she lost thought all about jobs. suicide, lost all her gigs, had to become a cleaning person. Mm-hmm. So she felt like the story of Cinderella really um, spoke to her. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it didn't get her a win. Moving on. I said I was going to talk about the real world Las Vegas, but that feels daunting. Uh, well, only because these people are so all over the place. So I don't know if, like, it would take me so long to talk about them. There are only um, seven cast members. It's okay. Drag them. No, I don't want to drag them. You know, the, the, the main thing I wanted to talk about was 
what I already mentioned last week is watching people in, you know, who are in their very early 20s sort of making these bold pro- proclamations about who they are as people is really cringy because certainly I can relate to that. I think we all can. Yeah. Like feeling mm-hmm. away when we're so young and then realizing that that's not going to get us anywhere. So some of them are frustrating. Some of them are really sad. Um, my favorite... Um, I think the person who comes out the best on this season is Steven. He uh, he seems the most sort of like progressive. We find out when he first entered, like joins the house that he works at a gay bar in Arizona, I believe. And he calls out Alton, who's my least favorite cast member, mm-hmm. for being homophobic and tries to educate him. And even Steven's best friend happens to be gay and like brings this guy whose name I think is Gary to meet Alton to just talk to him about you know, why it's unfair for him to have these thoughts. And then Alton aligns his homophobia with him almost being molested. So he feels like that's why he doesn't like gay men. Um, Which I thought his story was... Yeah. Because we also learned that he, like, I believe it's his two brothers were kidnapped and murdered. Alton's? Yes. Something dramatic like that. Jeez. Um... Yeah, when he... Yes. It, oh, it's just one. It's his nine-year-old brother was kidnapped and murdered when Alton was 14. Oh, my God. And then, um, yeah. So, it's... You know, he has a sad story, but also he's so misogynistic and so hypocritical and... Well, it's the, you know, it's also the early 2000s where it was very appropriate to, you know, speak that way. <laughs> but... Not to repeat myself, but I think because I was that same age, living in Las Vegas, working in a casino at that exact time, it, it I, I feel a lot of connection to it. But the one thing I did want to bring up, which will segue to the next thing, which I didn't tell you about, is there's one, many of the characters, but particularly Frank, talks about how like he just can't date a girl from Las Vegas because mm-hmm. they're all so, like this impression, mm-hmm. even when I live there, this impression of like everyone who lives in Vegas is like really slutty. Fast. And fast. And they have so many options that you can't sort of tie them down. And I think it made me think about people's expectations, which segues into my next topic, which is a few nights ago, we were having a conversation with two other people about like how we want to live in like a big city mm-hmm. versus maybe going to you know, moving away from a place like L.A. where one would be more comfortable, like lower cost of living, less congested. So we had that conversation. And then the next morning, I spent a couple hours on YouTube watching. There are a lot of videos from people uh, titled Why I Left L.A. Mm -hmm. And of all the videos I watched, 100% of them were people who moved to L.A. in their early 20s, wanting to pursue something in entertainment, or they had this fantasy of, like, Hollywood life. And then they leave within like one to five years. So then why did I leave LA? So most of them, they all have the same complaint, which anyone who lives here or like myself who grew up here would echo. It's overcrowded. The traffic's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. It's very expensive Mm -hmm. and logistics make it difficult to socialize. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And competitive depending on your line of work. So it made me think about, like, thinking about the real world and expectations. I just thought, well, okay, if you did your research, which would require just a simple Google uh, search, because all of these people whose videos I watched are still young, which means 
when they moved to LA, the internet existed. Mm -hmm. So I think if you do a simple search about what it's like to live in LA, it's very clear what the downsides are. Right. And the positives are obviously the weather, the variety and like um, terrain, right? Mm -hmm. So you can have beach, desert, mountain, hiking, and then of course all the stuff related to entertainment, all of the options like culinary and uh, musical entertainment options, all that. So I wonder what are your thoughts like as someone who moved here in your 20s and you have made a nice life for yourself, mm -hmm. what do you think about sort of this idea about people moving to a place like LA who should have known full well that all of these things existed and then shit on it? Um, well, I mean, I, I think we talked about this before we actually moved to Los Angeles. It, and I think that we were both very adamant that there's a plan, there's a, there's an occupation that at least one of us has uh, because you can't depend on dreams and fantasies. And of course there's always that expectation uh, of what it's going to be like and it's never, it never really felt like that. I think it was immediate that this, living in the city is a grind and because I had a stable job, you know, it was doable and I think that's, that's why, you know, a decade on we're still here. Um, but yeah, I, I would even research, you know, researching something. It's like we found our initial apartment online and it's unreal to think, you know, we drove across the country without seeing that in person. Yeah, we weren't able because of time constraints to visit first, find housing and then move. Mm -hmm. So I just looked up someone on the interwebs, a real estate agent who was kind enough to help us mm -hmm. rent an apartment. I didn't even know real estate agents did that. But this gentleman helped us, and he was quite nice. So our price point was, we lived in a nice enough two-bedroom apartment in um, a nicer part of Minneapolis, like a trendy part. Loring Park. Yeah, in a nice building. Uh, so we thought, okay, our rent here, let's say that's our budget mm -hmm. for L.A. And immediately the person's like, well, uh, that's not going to get you very far. Like, maybe a one-bedroom Uh so we found something and... It was equivalent, actually, at the time. That was 2011. It was, well, it was smaller and it wasn't as nice. Right, yeah. But we, 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 paid, we were paying for a two-bedroom for the same price as a one-bedroom. A nicer two-bedroom, arguably in, in an equivalently nice area, right? Because Loring, WeHo is kind of like Loring Park in Minneapolis, kind of. <laughs> Sure. So ish. Ish. So I think location wise it was comparable, but the price I think was the first sort of indication that things will be more expensive. But we already knew that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I think yeah, setting expectations. Like it just seems weird to I guess I was thinking like the main sort of message I got from all of those videos I watched is that p these people left LA because it didn't meet their expectations. Mm -hmm. But then, so I guess what I wanted to talk about was, but you, people's expectations are wrong. And I think you could apply that to a lot of things. Relationships. Relationships, employment. Mm -hmm. Like how many people do we know who take a job like, oh, you make 40,000 a year to do this job that is like very clear what the duties are and your commute is like two and a half to three hours a day. And then three months in, it's like you hate it. You hate the commute. You don't like the job. You're not getting paid enough. But those three things were told to you in the interview. 
And then you were reminded of it again when you were offered the job. And, and then it's like, okay, so your expectations are off. Well, but we also live in a world where everybody's like, you, you can progress, right? And I think that also we're now used to having what we want when we want it. So this process, the process of reality is, takes much longer. And I think, you know, it, it depends on how tenacious, how passionate you are about what goals you're trying to uh, ascribe to what, or in a relationship wise, like how really committed are you to this person? Like, are you able to look past and, you know, to use a per, like a the relationship with the city as as a metaphor as well. Like you have to, you have to just accept that there are some major faults in moving around the well, city. Well, I think what you said, like the part about like being willing or so, so, sort of the hope or the understanding that you can grow, I think is very important. Of course, but so so I so I do think. I mean, because that's kind of like hope, right? And and a desire to want to do better. And I'm not implying that a lot of people don't have that. But I guess my impression of a lot of people who seem to struggle is like people just want things. Mm-hmm. They yeah. just want things. Immediate, like, uh... Yeah, like I want, like I want to live in this kind of house or I want this kind of car. And it's like, well, I don't know that like those material things are something to base a life around. But who am I to judge? But either way, if you have a goal or a dream then you need to have a plan, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then you need to execute that plan. And then you need to be committed to executing the plan, even when it isn't going well, as, it- as planned or, or it's hard. And I think a lot of people miss that part. It's just like, well, I, well, I moved here. Like, or I worked this job for five years. Like, how come I'm not running the joint? Like, mm-hmm. well... Well, in a, in a city like LA where people, you know stereotypically come here to make it in the entertainment industry nobody's checking for you nobody there are uh hundreds if not thousands of others that are very similar to you doing the same thing and you have to get past that that um pessimism and past that uh disappointment where it's like oh yeah nobody's really here for me so you how how much do you want it and what do you want from it if you want it the fame and celebrity then that's probably the wrong reason and you're gonna you know get bored trying so hard but if you are passionate and creative and and want to do it for the craft i think that's that's something else i would imagine that a high percentage of people don't have their dream job that they don't work do do something they're super passionate about if you do then you're very lucky so I think for the rest of us, there has to be a balance between what I do to make a living to be comfortable in this world and how I spend the rest of my time doing things that make me feel feel fulfilled, productive. And I think a lot of people don't know how to reconcile that mm-hmm. because there has to be a give and take. Like, So getting back to like living in L.A., it's like, okay, so you know, you could move to a city that's less expensive. And be a little more comfortable and you don't know maybe that comfort might inspire you to pursue other things you know like if you had a little extra money what would you do if you had a little extra time and you weren't commuting Mm -hmm. you know and it doesn't mean like leave LA it's like well you could I mean how many people have I known who just insist on living in a certain part of LA but but it's like for for what reason you become beholden to right yeah, and and then I think you don't realize how limiting it is in the long run. Because really it is limiting. Like really you could move 
to the valley, let's say, mm -hmm. or to San Gabriel, you know, you could move somewhere that is not necessarily close to the action, but it's much more affordable. And if you're really passionate about doing something in that area, you can find your way there mm -hmm. once a month, once a week. It's not that hard. So I think it's that sacrifice of like that, that maybe some people aren't willing to do because I don't know. I don't want to go on too long about this, but I think when people talk about hustling, it's like, well, to me, hustling is like you work a full-time job. And then when you get off work, then you put in the time doing something you're passionate about. Yeah. It's the work. It's the hours. I'm not saying everyone has to spend 20 hours a day doing something, but it's like, okay, you wanting to be an actor. So you take a part-time job at a restaurant working three days a week, four hours a day. And then you like, you know, take an acting class once a week and you live in squalor, that's not a hustle. A hustle would be like, you have a full-time job and take care of all your bills and then you stay up late at, you know, maybe you work overnights so that you have your days free to audition. That's impressive. That shows drive. Mm -hmm. But just sort of like doing the bare minimum just to be in a space does not guarantee that anything will come of it. Like you just can't be a spectator. You just can't, you know, I know a lot of people talk about how, and I would agree, like in college, as long as you show up, you'll get through it. Mm -hmm. And that's a really poor sort of analogy for life. Like, I think that's a really poor way to look at life. Like, just showing up and waking up every day is not enough. It isn't. Like, you have to do, you have to do the extra. Yeah. Some people are handed things, certainly. But for most of us, like, you kind of have to... And if you really enjoy doing something, like writing or singing or dancing then you should want to do that whether you're getting paid or not. Yeah. Whether people are reading it or watching it or listening to it, you should just want to do it. As someone who's not an artist and not creative, I can't really speak to that because I don't work for free. But <laughs> I know like making YouTube videos and doing this podcast is just kind of like something that's more of like a hobby. Sure. So the fact that I don't get paid is not... Bothersome. Irksome. It, it doesn't bother me because I'm very comfortable outside of doing this. So I'm not bothered. Right. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's the, the, once you become tethered or beholden to something that that's when you also start to resent or hate it. And, right. And I think something that brings you joy that you need to kind of protect that joy about it somehow. Um, at least for myself, but. So some people need to make some hard decisions, I think. Yeah, for some reason it keeps popping in my head. I know you haven't seen this movie, but it's mid '90s with Mayor Winningham and Jennifer Jason Leigh. It's called Georgia, and like Mayor Winningham, they're sisters, and she's this very successful singer. And all her younger sister, Jennifer Jason Leigh, wants to be is a singer as well. So she like throws herself into you know I'm gonna be a singer, but she's terrible. Oh God! <laughs> like like there's no way in hell she'll be a singer. And you just watch this woman struggle through all these shows. Um, where, you know, it's clearly she doesn't have the skill. It's it's a very good performance from her uh, and worth a watch. But I keep thinking of that. It's, it's also like maybe, yeah, maybe you have to, um, yeah, make some tough decisions or, or do something adjacent or, I don't know. Or be uncomfortable. Or be uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, wandering around in L.A. on my own a lot is like, the reaction I get is like, oh, you go out on your own, you're alone. It's like, well, yeah, because that's not uncomfortable to me. But it speaks to the terror people have of being uncomfortable. Well, that that's not what I was thinking, but I think that's a really good point. I was thinking literally as the days go by and the older I become, 
I'm really focused on being comfortable mm-hmm. because if I'm not comfortable, I feel like I can't focus on the other things that I need to do. So it's like, yeah, I want to be in a comfortable place. Uh, like, I want a comfortable place to live with a comfortable bed. I want to drive a comfortable car. Like, I want to wear clothes that are comfortable. I don't want to wear clothes that are cutting off my circulation. And I don't want my feet to hurt. And, you know, like, I don't I don't want to sit in a car for 10 hours yeah, but to drive I, somewhere to come back two hours later. Like, I just don't. That doesn't suit m- me. And I think. Yeah, but that's a different kind. That's like, if we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like that's having, that's, that's a, a, along the lines of the things you need to be productive and successful is, is that kind of comfort. Sure. I'm talking about like the kind of comfort outside of your comfort zone being how you grow as, uh, emotionally and mentally as a person. Yes. So I think both, both of those things I think are very important when people think about as you, you know, time's not forever. Mm-hmm. Time is not forever. Next thing you know, you're 40, then 50. Mm-hmm. Then you're thinking about when am I going to sign up for my social security check? Mm-hmm. Well, that's how shit goes. Yeah. And then, and then it's like, well, what kind of choices did I make that will leave me at a place when I'm old and gray thinking like, well, it's been a nice run. <laughs> I did some of the things I wanted to do. I feel good about it. I guess when I'm hopefully on in the euthanasia office, ready oh to clock out, I'll feel good about like, well, you know, I did the best I could with what I was able to do and my mental capacity. And, you know, like, I think that would make me feel good. So when I think about being comfortable, it's like there has to be a balance. Mm-hmm. I don't want to... I didn't want to live all of my 20s and 30s on the fucking struggle bus mm-hmm. to then end up like broke without a pot to piss in or it, a rent controlled West Hollywood apartment that you can never leave. No shade to everyone in rent control housing, but I, but some people choose that life. Like I'm just not going to leave. And it's like, well, maybe, I, yeah, I get it. But then it's like, you're really, I don't know. That's very Sisyphean. Well, because it doesn't you, need to be because you hear people talking like, okay, I live in a rent controlled apartment in WeHo with two other people. And then their goal is like, I want to live. I want a house in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah, that's not going to happen. That's a huge... You might want to consider, like, maybe getting... Like, move out of the city, build some equity in some other property, then maybe one day you can move back if you hit it big. I don't know. I just think that they're baby steps to the door, girl. Baby steps to the door. But we need to move on. You wanted to talk about... um, Well, first Candyman. Oh. Oh, oh, we can talk about that first. So, Candyman... Some of the critique we got on our Candyman YouTube video about... For some reason, there were comments, which some of them I deleted because uh, they're mean and nasty and irrelevant and, and erroneous, that we only liked it because it was black. Mm-hmm. And we didn't say that at all. No. The only thing I said was, I love seeing like lit black people in movies, mm-hmm. and I would love to see more movies with black people in them. That's what I said. I liked Candyman well enough because I thought it was a fun interpretation of a horror classic you, but i noticed this trend of i i think there are you know for lack of a better word trolls out there that that is that is kind of the toxicity they put out for anything that re- anything black that receives praise because um you were also mentioning us versus our review of us versus billy holiday yeah where we got which we gave a we were very cool on slash negative except outside of Andre Day's performance, because it's not a good movie. And I, I remember seeing a lot of vitriol uh, and some like people calling Joseph whitewashed uh, because he agreed with me that it wasn't good. And so, I don't know, if you, take the, if you were to take the time and look at the track record, neither of us do that. But there are, for 
products directed by women or people of color, there's kind of this unsaid thing that I've noticed amongst critics that are afraid to be very honest or truthful unless that you also are uh, of that identity critiquing the film, uh, which, you know, it, I think does a disservice to the film. And I think there is something to be said about meeting something where it is. Like, certainly not every Tyler Perry is a one... Tyler Perry movie is a one-star movie. And there, you know, a good writer or a good... A, a good critic is able to articulate, you know, how they are grading, uh, etc. But yes, I, I find that kind of bullshit upsetting. That oh, if this was a white cast, you would have given it a bad review. No, I would not. My opinion is my opinion, and I'm not being paid for it. And I like the film. And that makes me think, like, you know, people want to apply their logic whenever it makes sense for them, because then you get people who love the movie Sweet Girl with Jason Momoa. Ugh. And it's like a lot of the comments that I saw were were about like, well, my mom died of cancer, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Good. I mean, not good, but I'm sorry. But what does that have to do with this shitty ass movie with a ridiculous Absolutely story? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. That's like saying like... Unlike- but, but by that logic, then I should be allowed to like a movie with black people because, my, because I'm black. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. So I think it's like people just want to be mad. They want to be mad. It's just kind of like being gay, how we're supposed to also pussyfoot around like terrible queer films and you know it's like steve mcqueen recently said like there needs to be terrible black films as well there needs to be movies that aren't as good as quality because we need the content out there we need that's how people also grow and experience things but we need to be honest about what's good and what's not and you know i have i've received the worst feedback or people have like made a point to single me out on facebook or instagram uh usually older white gay men that didn't like how i critiqued something that was gay like, like I'm violating, like I'm a, a traitor to my, <laughs> wow, to my community, and it's like, well, I'm being honest. I don't like to give advice, but I would give advice, like, st- like, stop searching. Like, people want to, people just want to be mad. Stop looking for things that will upset you, and don't feel the need to validate your own thoughts. If you watched a movie and you liked it, then be comfortable with that. If you like something, then just be comfortable in right. that. Don't seek out validation. Don't, and which will ultimately lead to you hearing things that are contrary to your beliefs, and then you get upset. And it's like if you're going to spend all that time searching the internet for information, then research things that matter. You know, look up shit that matters. <laughs> Learn about like anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, history, public or political science, like. Learn about those things before you get mad because someone didn't like a movie that stars the man from Aquaman who you really like. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, you liking Aquaman doesn't mean that you have to like a shitty Jason drama Momoa. thriller that he was in. Like, it makes no sense. But if there's nothing else you want to talk about, we can move on to movies you saw this past week. Oh, but briefly before that, Ed Asner died. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, he's not 91. Well, I need to look up who Ed Asner is. <laughs> you know who Ed Asner is? He's from the Mary Tyler Moore show. Did he do those commercials for diabetes? That's Wolf- Wilford Brimley. Okay, no way. I don't know who this is. Oh, my God. He's got like 416 credits. <laughs> he was he was on a big series in the 70s called Lou Grant. Um, I, I know the Mary Tyler Moore show, yeah, but was, I don't recall him in it. Oh, yeah. He was on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Because he looks like a couple a lot of people. Of people. He's, <laughs> you liked the, the, he does the voice of the old man in Up. That's him? Yeah. Okay, well, he was old, right? He was old, but he was in, like, 400-plus things. He, he was 
Well, he had a good run, and I'm sure when he was on his deathbed, he felt like he made some good choices he, and he was happy with his life. He <laughs> probably did. Or probably not. I don't know. But uh, well, He died today. My memory of him, my first memory of Ed Asner, who I knew as a child, was because on VHS I had this 1989 animated version of Snow White where Irene Cara is the voice of Snow White. Um, and he is Scowl the Owl. That's my my first memories of Ed Asner. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, moving on, you're going to talk about movies you watched this past week that you didn't review. Yeah. I you mean, start- there, there were a cute few things that I thought. I, I still hope we get to Mosquito State before I leave for okay. Venice. But well, I'll let you talk about them because I have to use the bathroom. But <laughs> you go ahead and you start with the man who surprised everyone. I'll be back quickly. I won't wash my hands. Go on. The man who surprised everyone. Uh, well, obviously, since I'm going to Venice, uh, I always try to uh, do a little preparation for uh, filmmakers whose previous works I'm not familiar with. So uh, Alexei Chupov and uh, Natasha Marikovla are uh, have a film in the Venice competition, uh, Captain Kolganov Escaped. I'm probably butchering that title. But their previous film got a lot of attention, The Man Who Surprised Everyone, it's from 2018, which really is... Uh, kind of uh, daring film. Uh, it's about a man. He's a Siberian state forest ranger uh, who had has some kind of uh, terminal cancer, a tumor. He has two months to live, and in response to that, he decides to uh, adopt the identity of a woman uh, and still stay at home with his family. The local community ostracizes him and beats him and punishes him. Uh, and but by the time he goes back to the uh, doctor's office it seems the tumor has miraculous, miraculously cleared up uh, by him kind of you know it's suggesting that maybe he was always a trans woman and in his last two months of life he finally embraced himself and I, I think the working on a metaphorical level uh, as well I think the film is saying a lot of powerful things especially coming from Russia I, I can't believe it got made um, so I definitely recommend that. Uh, also for Venice Prep, I watched uh, Eric Matti's On the Job 2013 film that played in the director's fortnight of Cannes, uh, which I was watching last night when you uh, walked in, because the sequel is playing in Venice competition, so I f- felt like it's kind of necessary. Uh, that was so-so, but based on a true story about these uh, lifers in Filipino prisons who are allowed oh to, I did see that are, clips of it yeah they're allowed to leave base, basically they're assassinating people for this criminal underbelly so they go kill like people Suicide Squad no no because they don't oh are yeah they, yes but they have to go back to jail so that's it's like, right in, that's right but in so they get to, yeah they get plucked out of prison kind of like Suicide Squad go out to kill these people uh, get to spend a little time with their family and then get put back in like mm. as, as an exchange which also is strangely Reminds me of Persephone in Greek mythology. Uh, anyhow, so I'm looking forward to that sequel. Um, I totally bungled coverage for Fantasia Film Festival, uh, but in accordance to that last week, I did watch, the, for, for whatever reason, they um, restored Shunji Iwai's 1998 movie April Story. Um, I think because they also uh, were showing his latest film. But he's a Japanese filmmaker I really like. Uh, All About Lily Shushu is probably his uh, biggest 
film, most notable film to date, but he did a film in 2016 called A Bride for Rip Van Winkle that I really liked. Uh, but April Story is from 1998, and it's basically about this girl that lives on this island that goes to some college she randomly picks because she heard about it uh, and has trouble making friends in the city. Uh, uh, it reminded me of So Young Kim's very similar feeling film, uh, The Days Between, I think was the title of that. Uh, anyhow, uh, there was that. And also, uh, as a palate cleanser, because of all this cramming of screeners for Venice and TIFF, uh, I watched Clive Barker's Lord of Illusions, which I'd never seen because it wasn't allowed the year that came out. With a very handsome Scott Bakula and a very untouched Famke Janssen. Uh, but otherwise, that movie was hard to sit through. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's films that... For somehow, I, I got to fit those in between everything else I watched this week. Um, and I finished Frank Herbert's Dune and Elena Ferrante's The Lost Daughter in anticipation of Venice. Projects of Interest, Witches of Eastwick. Yes. Witches of Eastwick is going to get a remake from director Nina Thyberg, whose uh, debut, Pleasure, about a young woman that moves, I think, from Sweden to uh, the Valley to be a porn star, oh. which is very kind of gritty and disturbing. Did I see that? I think you might have walked in when I had it. It was at Sundance this past year, so I watched it at home. Was it in English? It was in English. Oh. I, you might have walked, wandered Maybe in. there was another movie I watched with you where there's a, a girl who comes to the valley to be a porn star. Not Starlet, the Sean Baker movie. I think that was it. With Dree Hemingway? I don't know. That's years ago, though. I don't remember. Anyway, th this, was, this was in January. Um, so Nina Thyberg's going to do Witches of Eastwick, which, you know, the George Miller film, which is based on John Updike's novel, uh, is a favorite, uh, but was not, I, I don't think, particularly well-received when it came out in 87, uh, with Cher and Susan Sarandon and Michelle Pfeiffer and Veronica Cartwright and Richard Jenkins and, of course, Jack Nicholson. So I, I think what I'm most excited to see is who these witches are going to be. Oh, they haven't announced who the witches are. No, but... You know, um, anyhow, so that's that I'm excited about. Uh, Alice Winokur, a uh, French director, uh, has finally announced her fourth film. There have been rumblings about it. It was supposed to film in Paris last summer, but because of COVID, they couldn't get the female star attached. Uh, what is it called? Revoir Paris. Oh. Uh, but the female star, which has been confirmed, is Nicole Kidman. Oh, Masha. Yeah, okay. my God. She's, <laughs> she's playing a journalist, I believe, who survives a suicide terrorist attack and in Paris, and then comes back six months later to kind of pick up the pieces. Uh, and then lastly, a, another project I'm excited about, uh, I've talked about him before, Bertrand Mandico, who's filmed The Wild Boys I loved, and After Blue, which just played at Locarno, has already announced a new project, which is a female rereading of Conan the Barbarian. Oh. So that sounds fascinating to me. Interesting. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that's that. Okay, so for this week, we continued the party from last week where one of us chose a mystery movie mm -hmm. to watch. So it's my turn. Yep, so I had so, no idea. So I chose Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because I've never seen a Harry Potter film. Mm -hmm. Certainly didn't read the books. I know you've read a couple books and seen a couple movies. I've read the first two books and saw the first two movies, which both came out while I was in high school, and I thought I was too old to really think they were for me uh, then, and I never continued. Well, in 2000, this came out in 2001. Yep, so it's 20 years old this year. 
So, yeah, I was like 23 years old when this movie came out. <laughs> so I think, I'm sure I thought it was for kids. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wasn't interested. And over the years, there are so many of them that, like other sort of franchises and TV um, series, it just gets to a point where it feels daunting to even start. Yes. And I think that's why I haven't ever thought to watch a Harry Potter movie. Mm -hmm. But I did today. You did today, and I was surprised you picked it because it's like two and a half hours. It is, um, it's long. It's very long. It is long. That um, is for sure. Okay. Obviously, I'm not going to review this movie because, I mean, this this universe has, there's no point. There's no point. There's a lot going on. And there's so much going on, I couldn't even begin to tell you what the movie's about. I mean, from what I understand, Harry Potter is this boy who was born to, like, some witches and a witch and a wizard. And I don't understand why he had to be... Oh, his parents died. His parents died, well... But they, I don't understand why he's, like, because, the chosen one. Because they fought Voldemort and he was been marked by that wand. He has a scar on his forehead. Yes. Okay. So it's kind of like, it's it's very similar to, you know, Star Wars or Dune even, where there's this kind of prophesied child that's going to come and defeat these evil forces. And uh, yeah, he goes to Hogwarts, which seems more like a reality competition show than like an actual school where they're learning. But <laughs> yeah, the staff watching this. This staff is garbage. They're, they're just like, are you paying attention to what these children, these uh, magical children are, are these doing? students safe? The, they don't the, even seem safe. Well, during the Quidditch game, it's like somebody's going to die. Um, but uh, yeah, so I watched it. My overall impression was that um, it's pretty magical. <laughs> but clearly um, a big budget movie that was well done, like production wise. So I'm sure in 2001, watching it in a theater was quite the experience. And for people who read the books, I can imagine. I kind of wanted to talk about before I even talk about this movie is I think I have an aversion to like YA novels. Yeah. And adults who read them like whole ass adults. Sure. Like ladies my age. Who are like, oh, I just finished the Hunger Games, and it's like, oh, okay. Like, because, well, because it's funny, one of my notes while we were watching this was it's trying, you know, to, it feels like it has the scope of Tolkien, you know, Lord of the Rings, uh, but oftentimes feels a little bit more Twilighty in some passages. This was, so this movie. But better than, much better. Oh, than yes. That, this but, movie is much better than I thought. Well, and it, Twilight's not YA, but even that is like a, well, I'm not going to shit on Twilight because I think. If, go ahead, shit on if it. If it appeals to you, that's great. And the it. Harry Potter, um, just from the first movie, it seems like a very rich universe. But my aversion to stories like this and why I probably would never read like a science fiction novel is I can't keep track of like the characters and the you'd be surprised i just finished dune i thought it was very uh, it clips right along oh i'm sure they're great reads it's just for my taste like i don't want to learn all these new words and thing <laughs> well things that aren't real sure it's yeah. one thing to read a book and like learn things that are actually real right learn about history and locations like, like and what's the new word i learned yes jibosity Things like that appeal to me. Uh -huh. Like, learning appeals to me. Mm -hmm. But to me, learning about something that's not real, it doesn't appeal to me. Like, I don't want to put energy... Sure, but there's a certain... There's, what happens sometimes is that they become part of the zeitgeist and that they take on meaning. Oh, sure. Because, like, even just watching it like, this morning, I realized that, like, I've so heard people say, like, yeah, are you a Slytherin or oh, a, yeah. a... A Hufflepuff. A or Hufflepuff or what's the one? Gryffindor. Harry Potter, Gryffindor. 
And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, no, it's become... It's, so it's like a, a, a class it becomes, in the school. Well, it becomes part of the lexicon, right? It so. does. And I think for that reason, it has importance. Like these, Obviously, Harry Potter is important to popular culture. But yeah, learning about... Like having to learn all these things that are not real. Sure. Like words and sure. science things that aren't... It just seems like more than my simple brain can handle sometimes. Not that I don't <laughs> no, enjoy I'm... sci-fi, but... Sure, I, I think what you're talking about is more aligned with fantasy. I, yeah, fantasy, because, you know, sci-fi, like, like I love outer space type stuff. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's based in our understanding of physics and... Right. Um, science. Science, whatever, science. but... Um, I, you are a robot. I don't have much notes after watching it because there's right. so much going on. I only have five notes. One is when they first uh, bring the baby, whoever those two people are who bring the baby to the house... Uh, Rich, um, Richard Harris and Maggie Smith. I was like, did they steal this baby? And then the family he lives with, which we find out are his actual family. Yeah, his I aunt. just thought they were like, because they treated him so poorly. It, yeah, I wrote down it's very Cinderella. Yeah, then I'm like, these can't. These people must have just been burdened with taking care of this yeah. boy, and they're calling him the cousin, but really he's just this strange baby who was dropped off. Mm-hmm. But no, these are his kinfolk. Oh yeah, well, and they treat him so poorly. Which I do like seeing Fiona Shaw, who's nice and bitchy. I thought the the first part of the movie was the best part like mm-hmm. seeing harry potter be treated poorly and then him kind of getting free from that mm-hmm. i did enjoy i think daniel radcliffe i don't think he's magical i don't think that he shines in this role he's just a cute kid he's just, well he's also really young he's yeah like as an adult i do like him i find him fascinating as but as an 11 year old character i thought he was okay i thought he and the redhead boy rupert grint I like those two better than the girl, Hermione. Yeah, Emily or Emma Watson. I didn't care for her. I don't. I that wig threw me off. Her acting, because like you mentioned as we were watching it, because I said this like halfway through. I think the two boys seem more natural, but then you commented they're just acting like boys. Yeah, and, and so it feels. Heard they're putting that that bitchy persnickety personality on. Yeah, and she's not able to pull it off that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Alan Rickman... I love Alan oh Rickman. Oh my God. That Snape. shit. <laughs> it's so over the top. It is so over the top. Every time he walks in the room, I keep saying, drama. Oh my God. <laughs> God. That fucking black ass wig. I mean, and, the wig looks terrible. And but, the looks, he's he's serving looks. But, but he's so good. Yeah, it's, it's very over the top. It is, but I love seeing him. And um so you know since we've mentioned before and people seem to know what we're talking about um the the youtube web series got to be real Mm -hmm. i think it's season two episode one where they split the divas into the two houses Mm -hmm. um a big part of that episode is this movie where like maggie smith and that hat and like professor mcgonagall turn yeah uh, signing houses Mm -hmm. so i actually thought that was a really fun scene Mm -hmm. um and that hat was telling everyone's business. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like, <laughs> shut up. Yeah, can we keep this discreet? God. I'm going to do this in front of everyone. Uh, the, uh, I, the, I, I also thought Daniel Radcliffe at this age reminded me, he looked like he'd be Safi's child from AbFab. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, the staff is garbage. Yes. I just don't understand. Like, They're being trusted to educate these children, and I would assume protect them. And they aren't. They are doing neither. No, they, when the kids try to go to warn Maggie Smith, like, somebody's going to steal a Sorcerer's Stone, and she's just like... Don't you worry about that. It's well-guarded. Go away. Yeah. Like, don't you want to hear what they have to say? Or when the troll is in the building. Yeah, like... 
Okay. And then he's like, stop. We're, uh, vacate the building in an orderly fashion. And then it's like the two kids have to destroy the troll. Mm-hmm. Like, where were these staff Yeah, where were the adults? Yeah. Oh, my God. Just I, garbage. I also wrote down that I think Hermione has the same hair. She looks like she'd be Hagrid's kid. Hagrid. Robbie, oh, Robbie yeah. <laughs> The and then Hagrid thing. can't keep a secret. Yeah, it's just like... Shut I shouldn't up. have said that. You just need to shut up, Yeah, sir. Although, um, I do like Robbie Coltrane, but... Okay. Um, the, uh... So, it was... this. The first two were directed by Chris Columbus. I'm not familiar with that person. Yes, you are, because throughout the 1990s, he kind of had the, the market on darker-themed adult films. Like... Or, or family films like Home Alone. Oh, he directed Home Alone? Yeah, Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Uh, but his first one was Adventures in Babysitting in '87. I think Home with uh, uh, Christina Applegate, Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue. I don't know if Christina Applegate's in Adventures in Babysitting. I don't know. She's in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. That's what I was thinking. Yep. Uh, Home Alone. He did only. Uh, uh, oh yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire. I think oh, only wow. Lonely. Nine months. Stepmom with Julia and Susan Sarandon. Uh, so, but well, he did a good job with this movie uh, because I think. Knowing that there are so many books and such a big universe, I think as someone who knows nothing about Harry Potter, I do feel like I'm primed to watch the next one. Mm -hmm. As in like the film he made makes me curious about where these kids are going. And I would like, and knowing that they get older is appealing to me. Sure. Like just seeing their journey, their journey. But um, but will I will I watch them in a timely manner? I don't think so. Well, I think it, it was after the second one that I kind of gave up. But uh, to me, Alfonso Cuarón directed the third one, which oh. many I think many say is the best one, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, well, I looked up a um, like which are the best um, Harry Potter movies, and I do think um, what you just said is number one. Yeah. So uh, you know, and you know Alfonso Cuarón who did Gravity and. Uh, yes, on a, Mama Tambien and on on Collider.com they've ranked the best. Oh, and number one is uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Mm-hmm. And then the one I just watched, the first one, is ranked number five. Oh, okay. So Mike Newell directed one, and then the rest were directed by David Yates. Okay. Uh, you know, starting... So I had to pay for this one. Mm-hmm. It used to be on uh, HBO Max, and then... Because of licensing stuff before, I think, Warner, who owns HBO Max? I don't know. Licensing stuff, uh, the Harry Potter universe has bounced around different platforms before um, the parent company who owns it decided to start their own streaming platform. So I believe starting September 1st, so like in two days, all of the movies will be available on HBO Max. Oh, there we which go. Which we do have access to. So I think... I'd be curious. I mean, I feel... I will watch them. I should I have seen them. I don't know that I'll... Re- I'm sure I'll mention them as we watch them, like, on the podcast. But I would be interested to watch them. Sure. Whenever there's, like, free time around here, but... Um, the score by John Williams, who, you know, scored everything from Star Wars to Indiana Jones. It does feel very much like that kind of a score. To me, it felt like it was doing a lot of heavy lifting. Um, I also, you know, J.K. Rowling... Everybody knows the the legend of how she came to write Harry Potter and all of this. Oh, I don't know that. On the back of a napkin, she scribbled it out because she was like a poor working class mother. Oh, then she got all her money and then has a problem with trans people. Yeah. Oh, actually, I was going to mention that because I was trying to research like before I gave Amazon Prime that three ninety nine about uh, her transphobia, mm-hmm. and I was reading things, and then she wrote this like 
long ass essay on that she put on her website in response to all the criticism. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm not gonna say she's not transphobic. I think she's just misinformed mm-hmm. because she's aligning. I, I think the most problematic thing that I read, she said, was she's aligning like protecting women, like you know, like women being safe in public restrooms and then some man who decides he wants to be a woman to go to the bathroom. And it's like, I don't think that I, I feel like aligning those things is very hurtful Yes, because a lot of trans people spend so much of their life like in anguish because they feel like, you know what I mean? It's just like to reduce someone's anguish of wanting to be their authentic selves to like some creep who would put on like a, I mean, you're almost making it like, one of those corny 80s sleepaway camp yeah where it's like someone slaps on a bad wig and then goes to the bathroom to rape, rape some woman it's like that's a really 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 shitty thing to say so yeah we like, can, so we can never have all gender bathrooms because we're afraid cis women might get raped like it's also it goes back well to, all gender it, bathrooms don't mean have one big ass trough everyone shits in it means why not have individual restrooms or like many places like the fucking draft house downtown mm-hmm. where it's like the sinks are outside. We all we all can wash our hands together, and then you have individual toilets. Like I don't think we're asking for like. It goes back to I kind of the, the sanctity of you know usually the white woman and and the myth of the black male rapist and even like we you know we have to keep these women these women are so pure that they can't they they have to be um, segregated even in the bathroom. It's like no, we can yes we can exactly just all have. Private stalls. It doesn't matter who uh, has what going on down there when they are just trying to use the bathroom. Well, women, you know, women and safety has always been an issue, right? So I don't want to minimize that. But I think when we talk about but it's because, public situations sure. where we could make these things safe, yes, it's a really stupid argument. It is a stupid like, argument. What are you talking about? Like some like truck stop restroom in the middle of nowhere? Like... I don't feel comfortable using well, those. And, re- As a man, I don't feel comfortable going well, into some restrooms. Part of the reason that uh, that's true uh, about the dangers women have to face, like walking alone at night, blah, blah, blah. Because as a culture, we accept and don't really punish uh, men that do those things. We accept that that be- we have normalized that that behavior just is going to is going to happen. And maybe that is where we need to be focusing our, our anger and our energy instead of saying, well, trans people just can't ever... She also seems like the type of cis woman who thinks that a trans woman is taking away something from her womanhood. And it's like... Well, because a a trans woman is not trying to rape you. So what you're trying to protect the cis women from in their their bathroom is ostensibly going to happen anyway... If somebody, if some man is trying to get in there to rape you. Well, she also made comments about people who menstruate and I was trying to read more and I didn't quite understand what, what was like trying to be said. So I don't want to talk about that. But again, I think she just seems misinformed and because she is a very sort of wealthy, successful person, maybe she feels like she can be steadfast in her thoughts because it's like, well, who's going to tell me shit? And she's right. I mean, people should be allowed to think what they think. And if they don't want to sort of be enlightened or educated, which then it, it is what it it's is. It's disappointing because but it's disappointing. You know, heretofore, like, wasn't she the first billionaire that fell out of billionaire status? Because, because of her philanthropy? Yeah. Like, so, so I don't think she's a shit person. I just think that maybe she is stubborn and is refusing to sort of see 
the error in her comment, but I don't, I don't, but I don't want to get into that because I'm not informed enough to say that much, except that I think this series of books and movies mean a lot to a lot of people and I don't think they should be erased. Um, oh yeah, no, I, I don't agree with that kind so, of sentiment either because who, you know, eventually she might come around. I don't know. Yeah. I, and I well, and then also when you say, you know, just like a lot of things like Bill Cosby or the Cosby show has such a important part of my childhood and it's like so you want me to erase that mm -hmm. that show inspired me to want to go to college mm -hmm. the spinoff with denise going to uh hillman a different world really made me want to become educated it's like you're telling me to sort of erase all that positivity over accusations that ultimately have now this man is no longer in prison because they whatever anyway we don't have any time left so oh, you can wrap it up oh i wanted to say when we finally see voldemort though you look like billy whitelaw to me oh i'd have to look that person up she's mrs baylock from the omen for one thing um and i was also surprised at how heavily um this world relies on or is taken from greek mythology because the three-headed dog guarding the sorcerer's stone that's cerberus and then there's a whole argus thing with the the hundred eyes that, that, there's stuff going on there that I'm like, oh, this doesn't seem entirely original. Rigid. Yeah. Well, you know. Um, but all I had, I was going <laughs> to, I didn't know if we were going to bring up her trans comments, but all I had to close was a quote from Christine Jorgensen. Good old Christine Jorgensen, which if you, her, that TV movie they did about her is on YouTube. Yeah. It's worth watching. Isn't it? Is it William, is it Weiler that directed that? No, Irving... Irving Rapper directed that, I believe, who, who in the 40s did a few pretty decent Betty Davis movies. It's entertaining, but not in a good way. I mean, well, you know, it, it handles the subject, I guess, the best it could for that time. But You said, because I don't know that I've seen that, uh, you said it didn't feel exploitative. It didn't. Um, from what I recall, I don't, I, I, I recall thinking that for when it was made, this seems like the person who did it did the best they could. But it's just funny to watch because they cast this sort of like... I mean, he's obviously like a very like good-looking sort mm -hmm. of man with soft features mm -hmm. to then play her and sort of the stuff. Any, anyway, if, if anyone's interested in her, I would recommend going on YouTube and watching that movie. But anyway, continue with her quote. Oh, just a very simple statement. Nature made a mistake and I have corrected it. Oh, well, <laughs> boom. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>